Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio at Love Letters and Mixtapes or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode. Well, this week, I wanted to explore the topic of mirror work, getting curious about our lives, opening doors of perception, healing phantom pain, and integrating all of who we are. And the best part about this episode is that I have written no notes and I just woke up and started recording and I'm actually still in bed. So <laughs> I'm sure everything I'm going to share will be profound. But to start with, let's talk about what mirror work is. Because there are a lot of definitions out there and not all mirror work is the same. I think that people think of it as a practice where you look at yourself and you say positive affirmations and it helps with self-esteem. And I understand that. That's fine. But I am talking about mirror work used as a different type of tool. I like to think of mirror work as a practice of acceptance, being okay with who we are, where we are, what we have in that very moment, and building that energetic muscle memory so that we can tap into that space inside of ourselves during any moment of dysregulation, any moment where we get stuck in our stories and our certainty and what we think someone else is thinking about us as we think about them, you know, those moments when we're really spinning out internally. So mirror work is really about sitting with ourselves, sitting in the present, sitting in the reality of our experience until we can guide ourselves back to a position of neutrality and being with all of the stories that we have been told about ourselves. Every story that we may have clung to because it kept us small, every shameful memory that we have allowed to define us, keep us trapped, every past moment of harm that we have done to ourselves or to others, and everything we just simply can't let go of in our lives, and everything we can't let into our lives. So when we think about the things we want to let into our lives, we think about love or empathy or connection or compassion. And mirror work is about sitting with what is blocking that and can I really face that? And when we think of the things that we want to let go of, I think of shame or self-loathing, self-doubt or fear and looking at ourselves and wondering, is this a true story I'm telling myself about these things and can I let them go? So what does a mirror work practice actually consist of? For me, simple is always best. If I overcomplicate things, I actually set myself up to fail and probably won't participate in them, which is probably why I love this practice. I just make sure that I won't be interrupted, I'm in a quiet space, I'm alone, and I take a seated cross-legged position in front of a mirror. I set a timer on my phone 
And if you are very new to this practice, or if you are very new to a meditation practice, I suggest starting small. You can start with one minute a day and then just gradually increase it. What I find most helpful is when I get myself up to a 20 minute practice and I can sit doing mirror work for 20 uninterrupted minutes. Now the complicated part about this is not the tools you need. It's clearly just yourself in a mirror. It's actually the experience of sitting still, letting the body be still. And what happens to our minds in those moments? Our minds go wild when the body gets still. It just happens very naturally. So the practice is not about punishing yourself. It is not about berating yourself. It is about sitting in that stillness. And every time the mind begins to wander, whether you're thinking about what you have to do later, whether you're thinking about your grocery list, whether you're thinking about your horrible week at work or what's wrong with your relationship or what's wrong with you, you just gently bring yourself back to that position of neutrality. And so the practice is not about perfection, sitting still and having this evolved experience for 20 minutes at a time. It's about sitting in that stillness and every time the mind wanders, bringing yourself back to center. And at the same time, just sitting and looking at yourself and taking yourself in and thinking about how rarely we do this with compassion loving kindness or without judgment. So that is the practice. And I would encourage all of you to maybe try to find a way to integrate this into your life just this week, not setting ourselves up to fail with like a 30 day challenge, but saying, can I sit with myself one minute a day for an entire week? And what does that bring to the surface? Because I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me, and sometimes I'm surprised about what comes up for myself. I'm a carnival ride, but um, I think that this practice is powerful in that way. It's meeting yourself in a new way. And very often on this podcast, I talk about the stories that we have been told about ourselves or the stories we repeatedly tell ourselves. And sometimes those stories are just so limiting, so damaging. They hold us back. They keep us small. And this practice is a really gentle way to meet those edges because you're taking in your wholeness. Now, for some of us, this practice might have a more layered meaning. I initially began my mirroring practice about 20 years ago, and I was engaging in this as a way to process my experience after a very traumatic incident and realizing that I needed an emotional toolkit because just muscling through my experience wasn't helping with my PTSD and I had severe PTSD. And this mirroring practice was an invitation to sit with myself when all I wanted to do was get away from myself because I was disappointed in myself. I was afraid of life. I was fearful of being in my body. I was perseverating on what had happened, just repeating things over and over and over again in my mind, despite no longer being in the situation, which is a very common experience in trauma. I also had a hard time experiencing myself as 
a 23-year-old. I felt like I had burst through some really horrid wall of perception and couldn't get back to the other side. You know, I had gone through this transformative experience. I didn't recognize myself anymore. I didn't recognize my life. I was scared all the time. And if I'm being totally honest, just didn't like myself or the world anymore. And so for me in that situation, and for many trauma survivors, I feel like mirror work can be so powerful because it's not this performative thing. We're not doing it in front of anyone else. And it's really about building our resilience and tolerance. Tolerance for ourselves when we no longer recognize ourselves. Tolerance for ourselves when we're struggling to love ourselves. So I find that this practice is not the only thing, but it is one of many things that can be incredibly powerful and transformative in those experiences. Well, if you've been listening along and you're kind of buying into what I'm talking about, I think that's wonderful. But I could imagine that there's a question of, well, how does this apply to me? And what is the purpose? And what would I get out of this? Yeah, the idea of acceptance sounds amazing. But in what way does that happen? And I think that it's one of those situations where you don't know until you know. And sometimes it doesn't happen right away. But it's that returning to the practice and creating that pathway inside of yourself that you begin to know very well. So while initially it can be kind of challenging to sit still, to be quiet, to not allow for distractions to take us away from ourselves, I could imagine the benefit of sitting with yourself, sitting in that tolerance, sitting in that acceptance, and allowing doors of perception to open in your own mind when you're looking at yourself and what that could do for your entire life. One of the things I mentioned in the opening of this episode was getting curious. And I know that this can be a little confronting for some of us because we live in a culture of black and white thinking. We live in a culture of certainty. So if you are curious about something, it's almost seen as a weakness. And I think of it very differently. I think that curiosity is so powerful because it's the key and it unlocks that door of perception and it allows us to step away from those stories, those very limiting stories that have followed us around our whole lives. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, well, I don't have a story, I want you to pause this episode and I want you to sit for a minute and think about that voice that comes in your head every moment when you're insecure. And what does that voice say to you? What is that thought that keeps repeating in your head? What do you think other people think about you? And how has it held you back? How has it impacted your relationships? How has it impacted your progress? How has it impacted your ability to say what it is you want and go after it? And I bring this up, not to be triggering in any way, but because I think it's really just something that we all encounter and we're just programmed not to talk about. We all have those stories. And what would it do for our lives if we allowed ourselves to be curious, if we allowed ourselves to follow that thought and the next thought and the next thought and didn't automatically put that limit on ourselves? 
it's almost like a choose your own adventure story. I don't know if you read those when you were a kid. I absolutely did. I devoured them. And thinking about what is that like in our adult lives? If we allowed ourselves to get really curious of what if I went this way? What if I did this? What if I tried that? Instead of saying, I have to follow this path or this is the only way I am lovable. This is the only way I am valuable. This is the only way I can have the life that I want. And instead, got curious. And I think that's one of the most powerful aspects of mirror work. Not that it, you know, sitting for a minute a day will immediately open your mind that way. But like I said earlier, it's that almost emotional muscle memory to allow ourselves to get back to the space and to know that it's safe and it's safe to be curious. Earlier this week, I mentioned this amazing book that I read when I was like 11, but I've read it as an adult as well. It's called Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. But it blew my mind when I was a kid, when I first read it. And I was a pretty stressed out kid, so it was a very helpful book at the time, but it's also been a helpful book as an adult. And the part of the book that I shared with someone was where the narrator is talking about an interaction he had with one of his students. And she wants to write this grandiose, over-the-top essay about the United States. And he wants her to just write about Bozeman, Montana. And she feels as if he is automatically limiting her, and she's so frustrated. Why do I have to focus on this small town when I can write about something so big? And he gives her that assignment and says, guess what? You are no longer writing about Bozeman. You are going to write about a brick in the wall of this building. And I want a paper on that. And so she sits and observes this one brick in this one building in Bozeman and writes a paper that blows his mind. So that really parallels this conversation we're having about mirror work because initially we think, yeah, 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 I know myself. I know what I look like. I know how I see myself. I don't need to do this. But when we sit, and we can only write about or focus on that one brick, that one part of us, we start to kind of unravel that story and write a new one. Now, the final topic that I wanted to touch on today was healing phantom pain and integrating all of who we are. So what do I mean by phantom pain? That's a term that we sometimes use for the experience someone has when they lose a limb and they experience this intense pain in the limb that is no longer there. I had a very close family member experience this for many, many years after an amputation. And it was so painful and really challenging for this person to integrate what had happened to them. But I also find that this happens in our lives when we lose a piece of who we are, something that is central to how we knew ourselves, how we understood ourselves, how we saw our place in the world. And I feel like that happens very often when we experience life-altering trauma because the way that we saw ourselves or the way that we trusted things unfolding in the world around us is taken away from us. And all we feel in its place is this excruciating pain. And it doesn't make sense, right? Because very often as we try to explain this pain to the people around us, 
their thought is, but it's not currently happening. So how are you still feeling this lightning bolt type pain in your life when you're not in a traumatic experience any longer? You're in the present. How is that a problem? And I want to be really careful about how I talk about this because I know that I was very sensitive for so long when I tried to explain my own experience with this. And that's where the mirror work really did help. As I mentioned earlier, there's that feeling of not recognizing yourself after you've had this life-changing experience and almost feeling this overwhelming pain as you try to get back to who you were. And the problem is you are not that person anymore. There is no way to get back to who you were. And that's where we suffer. And that's where we really struggle because it's a conversation we're almost not allowed to have. You know, it can even be challenging with professionals. You know, I've shared on here, I tried to talk to a therapist about something that was going on in my life and her sage feedback was to just get over it. So you can imagine the people in our lives who love us, who want to support us, don't always know the right thing to say. And it's not really on them to say the right thing. It's about us figuring out a way to integrate all of who we are, even if we are uncomfortable with this new version of ourselves. For a very long time, I was uncomfortable with this new version of myself I had to meet at 23 years old because I suddenly found that I was this person that I would not have picked out of a catalog. I would not have chosen this story, this adventure, this experience, this you know, character arc, this horrible growth experience. And it's really hard to sit with ourselves when we've gone through those changes or had a loss or a loss of identity. It is important to take a moment and to think about all of the things we do to get away from ourselves, to separate ourselves from this version that we don't want to know or see or like or come to terms with. And it's this massive void that we can begin to fill up with other things. You know, that could be different for everyone. That could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be shopping. It could be gambling. It could be other people. It could be work. I know I loved to distract myself with work. It was really damaging. <laughs> I'm still recovering. But, um, you know, we all have those things that we feel to get away from ourselves and they're very dangerous, especially when they're socially acceptable. And it's really on us to check in with ourselves and see what we can do to come to terms with all of who we are. And it's not an overnight process, and it's not perfect, and it's probably going to be really messy. But that's why I wanted to talk about this very simple practice that we can all integrate into our lives. And I invite you to do that. I invite you to trust who you are enough to sit with yourself and to see where that takes you. It will be awkward, and it will be uncomfortable. And you will break through to the other side and you'll start seeing things in yourself that you had not seen before. And what that does is it allows us to see things in other people and the world around us that we also have not seen before. And so all of this is a gift, an uncomfortable gift, but definitely a gift. And it's a tool in our toolkit that we keep with us forever. It's not a one-time thing. 
So to close out this conversation, I just want to create the space for us, just us listening to this podcast, that you are completely safe to step away from compulsive okayness, even if it's just for a few minutes a day. You don't have to be okay for me. You don't have to be okay for you. You don't have to be okay for anyone else. There's nothing to prove. And sitting with ourselves and getting to know all of who we are is very valuable. And it's safe and it's loving. And it is really important to integrate your wholeness. Because even the things that you don't like or love or want to know about yourself are absolutely essential to your story. And you don't know why those things are there. And they might show up at another time. And you might say the exact right thing for someone else who absolutely needs to hear it. And it will be like them having air pumped into their lungs for the first time in a really long time. So I encourage you to give this practice a try this week. Sit with yourself build your tolerance, allow yourself to see something in yourself that you've previously not seen, allow yourself to be curious and to be okay with that. I wanted to close this episode with a really powerful quote by Earl Hightower, and I've shared him on this podcast many times before, but this is probably one of my favorites. And he said, I wasn't being nice to myself. I had a very low opinion of myself. There was a ton of hatred and self-loathing going on, and I'm sitting in the back of meetings, hating myself, with the understanding that I somehow have to fight for my life at the same time. To feel like I don't have a right to be here, but be put in a position where I have to fight for my life, is a very strange conflict to find oneself in. And I hope this episode was helpful in affirming that if you are in that moment where you are not in love with yourself right now and you're struggling a little bit that you're not alone and that there are tools and practices that we can integrate into our lives to come to terms with our wholeness and we don't have to be in love with everything that happened to us i certainly am not in love with things that have happened in my life but i can come to terms with who i am because of it it's also okay to miss something and still never want it back. You know, I want to let go of the belief that grief is only reserved for certain losses. We can grieve all sorts of things, and that's why mirror work is very helpful, because sometimes grief looks like very reluctantly letting go of the parts of ourselves that are no longer there or no longer serve us or that we no longer align with, and still aching for them because they feel like one of your limbs. Like this can feel as if it is something that is very much a part of who you are and it's no longer there. And I think this practice is about honoring what part of ourselves is missing. What part are we grieving? What part of us is aching? And maybe grief isn't as end of the world devastating as we think it is. Maybe it is just the next right thing. And maybe grief walks parallel to relief at times. Personally, I really miss the parts of me that were self-destructive, and I am so relieved that they have been replaced by something else. 
I said it before that grief is a sob, but it's also an exhale. And on that note, I am going to make myself a cup of coffee, edit this episode, and try not to delete it out of pure self-consciousness. So (laughs) I also wanted to say thank you to everyone who has been sending me such sweet messages since this podcast launched. I mean, your DMs and your emails, they mean so much to me, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts, share your questions, and please feel free to reach out. My email is loveLettersAndMixtapes at gmail.com, and you can find my information in the show notes. So until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform, take a moment to rate and review this podcast, and if you enjoyed this episode, consider donating to support this podcast by clicking the link in my Instagram bio or scrolling down to the notes section of this episode.